Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. That's where we'll be spending our time together today. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, last week we were in verses 6 through 16. And this week we're in verses 6 through 16. So that was by, that was by design though. So we're in the same place. That's okay. Uh, so what, what I'd like to do is I'd like to begin by reading the text. Okay, I'm going to read verses 6 through 16. And then what I'd like to do is uh, just briefly, briefly uh, talk about some of the ideas that we talked about last week and show how they kind of just filter in or flow into uh, really verses 14, 15, and 16 because we didn't really get to those verses last week. And so that's where we're going to spend uh, our time, but we need to, we need to get there together. So let's just look at our Bibles and I'd like to read verses six through 16. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible. Okay. It says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and... We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Okay, so as we begin together today, let's just look at verses 6 through 8. And again, although it may have seemed like it, Paul is actually not against wisdom. He had basically just said, I didn't come giving you wisdom. I didn't come proclaiming the testimony of God, the mystery of God in wisdom. But in, in fact, I'm not actually against wisdom because I do have wisdom. It's not that I'm against wisdom. It's not a wisdom of this world. It's a wisdom from God himself. Remember that we made this big divide last week and we talked about the wisdom that is from above and the wisdom that is from below. The wisdom that is heavenly, the wisdom that is earthly. Which wisdom is it that Paul is giving to the people? It is the wisdom from God, not the wisdom from men, not the wisdom from earth. So they might be thinking, well, you're against wisdom. He says, well, you need to understand what kind of wisdom I'm against, right? Now, I'm not against wisdom. I'm against that kind of wisdom, but I'm not against 
godly wisdom. And in fact, I have much of it to give you. But when I came and I addressed you, I didn't bring that with me. In fact, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you remember that he said that? So when he came and he preached the gospel to them, he brought it in simplicity, didn't he? He brought the simplicity of the gospel message. And he says, now, even though I came with simplicity, it doesn't mean that I have nothing complex and of godly wisdom to deliver to you. In fact, I have much to give you. But he's going to tell us in chapter three, but when I came, you weren't ready. You weren't ready for this wisdom of God. You, you were infants. And infants, as we all know, aren't ready for solid food, are they? And so he said, when I came among you, you weren't ready. You couldn't handle what I had for you. But I want you to know for certain that I do have wisdom from God. And it is for who? For the mature in Christ. Okay? Somewhat of a summary of last week. Okay? Are we all there together? So although Paul might seem like he's against it, he's actually not against it. Okay, so it says in verse 8, if you look at it with me, now, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, we didn't talk about last week who those rulers were exactly. Who are the rulers of this age? Now, we did make a distinction, didn't we, between that which is of heaven and that which is of earth. And so some might think, well, he's making a distinction between spiritual rulers and power, right, and uh, other uh, powers, right? But uh, later he, he says... Um, that they, they crucified the Lord of glory, right? In the second half of that verse. And so it's they who crucified him. So who is he talking about? Well, the people who were rulers who had Jesus crucified. And who was that? That was, well, really two primary groups. That would have been the Jew, Jewish rulers, right? Because didn't they put Jesus on trial, right? And they said, crucify him. Okay, but then it was also the political rulers, wasn't it? Because you needed people like Herod and Pontius Pilate to approve of these things, right? So that they could move forward with them. So it's kind of collective. Now, why did they have him crucified? Because they didn't get it, right? If you saw Jesus Christ and you said, that's the Lord of glory, kill him. Now, obviously you don't get it because if you saw him for who he was, you would not have killed him. And that's what Paul's saying. They didn't see him properly. They didn't understand who he was. They didn't get the fact that he was the Lord of glory. And so they said, kill him. He's actually upsetting uh, the peace of our government structure here, right? Uh, the, the Romans loved peace. They wanted to pursue peace at all costs, right? And when there was a guy who was upsetting the peace, they said, you know what, it's probably actually better off that we kill this guy so that we can all be settled and have peace again. That's the only way they understood it. They didn't get it. They may have had earthly wisdom, but in their earthly wisdom, they killed the Lord of glory. And this is not the wisdom that is from above, right? Very obvious to us, isn't it? Okay. So he told us what this wisdom is not. This wisdom that Paul has is not of this age. It is not of the rulers of this age. That's not where our wisdom comes from. So where does the wisdom come from? Of course, it comes from God himself. So look at verse 7 just for a second. 
But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Do you see that in verse 7? This wisdom comes from God, and God decreed this to come to pass before the ages. For what purpose? For our glory. Now, it seems strange because we would actually maybe think that it should say for his glory, right? Because he decreed this before the ages for our glory. So I'd like to just talk about that for a second. What I'd like for you to see in this, and it is a, a clear biblical truth throughout the scriptures, that the decree of God cannot fail. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Make sure that sticks with you forever. The decree of God cannot fail. If God says something, it is impossible, impossible that that thing does not come to pass. If God decreed it, well, I guess we need to know what the word decree means, right? What does the word decree mean? It is actually the same word as predestined. You know that word, right? So what, is, what does it mean to decree or to predestine? It means to say a thing before the thing. It means to make a thing happen before the thing happens. So God said what's going to happen before it happened, but it was impossible that it would not happen exactly how he said it was going to happen. He decreed it before the ages. Before which ages? All of them. God decreed, and the decree of God cannot fail. God decreed before the ages for our glory that the mystery of Christ would come to us. This is God's decree. Listen to Acts 4, 27 and 28. For truly in this city there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now the word there is the same word here translated decree. The word predestined, Acts 4.28, is the same word here in 1 Corinthians 2.7 as decree. Same word, same concept. What God decrees will come to pass. It is impossible that the decree of God will not come to pass. It's very important that we all understand that because God decreed that the mystery of Christ would come to his people before all the ages even began. So, for thousands of years, what did God know was going to happen? One day. That the mystery of God was going to be revealed. Right? Now, God knew. God had a plan. So, during that time period, thousands of years, what happened? God kept this mystery of Christ covered. He kept it covered. It was hidden. But then, God did what? He removed the covering. And what is that? That is called revelation. To reveal something. Well, now, what did God reveal? The mystery of the cross. Right? That wonderful song the kids just sang, the mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. That's what they just sang to us. A wonderful truth for our kids to learn and instill at them very early on is that this is a wonderful mystery, but left to ourselves, we can never understand it. Cannot comprehend it. They couldn't comprehend it, right? The rulers, those who were all gathered against Jesus, 
But God decreed that there would be people gathered against Jesus because they were all gathered to do harm, to do whatever God's plan had predestined to take place. The way it all went down is the way God decreed that it would go down. And so there's a lot of implications to that. So God decreed that certain people would not understand. Because if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Did we need the Lord of glory crucified? So if they, what, what if, what if Pontius Pilate, what if the Sanhedrin, the ruler of the Jews, they were like, you know what? I think there's something to this Jesus guy. Let's just hold off. Let's not take it to trial. Uh, that's bad news. We can't have that happen. What if they would have had a change of heart and God's plan failed? They didn't hate Jesus. They loved him. What if? Not what if. Wouldn't happen. Can't happen. Why? Because the decree of God cannot fail. Do you see it? The decree of God cannot fail. This is wonderful news for us. The decree of, because God has decreed some other things, you know. And the decree of God cannot fail. You might have nightmares about me saying that. I'm saying it so much, right? The decree of God cannot fail. There is comfort for the soul to know this. And what did God decree? That when the time was right, that the mystery through Jesus Christ might be revealed to his saints. There are four other places that this word decree occur in our, in our New Testament. Only in this place and in Acts 4 is it about the decree of God and the mystery of Jesus Christ. In the other places, it is the decree of God, the predestining of God for God's people unto salvation. Those are the only other places that this word decree takes place. What has God decreed? Salvation. And if God has decreed a thing, what's going to happen? It's going to happen. God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. All those God predestined, he called. All those he called, he justified. And all those he justified, he glorified. That is the predestining act of God, the decree of God. Is that going to fail? He predestined us for adoption to himself. He decreed it. This is amazing. You know why it's amazing? Because the decree of God cannot fail. This is why it's amazing. So just one, one more passage on this. Um, this is from Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11. Remember this, stand firm, recall it to mind, you transgressors. Oh, that's just a good throwback to how uh, God was speaking to the people in Isaiah's day, right? You transgressors. Remember the former things of old. I am God. There's nothing, there's none other. I am God. There is no one like me. I declare the end of a thing from where? From the beginning. Who can do that? Ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel will stand. I will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east, a man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed. I will do it. That's our God. When God speaks, when God makes a decree of things, no one and no thing can get in the way of God's decree. And what has he decreed? That you would be transformed into the image of his son. 
that you would be brought into glory. That you would call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Amazing realities. This is God's decree. This is the wisdom that has been spoken to them by Paul and the other preachers who came among them, right? This great mystery, and the mystery of God is vast. The mystery of God can be simple. We talked about this last week, but the mystery of God can also be complex. That is because the word of God can be simple to our ears, simple for a child, but then also very complex, hard to understand, right? And all the scriptures tell us this. This is true information. I will remind you of Colossians 1, 24 through 29. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that it was given to me to make the word of God fully known to you. This mystery was hidden for ages. For ages. And generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Do you see? That's what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians 2. This mystery was hidden for ages, for generations, and now it has been revealed by decree to who? To his saints. Why not revealed to everyone? Does everyone understand this mystery the same way we do? No. Does everybody in the room understand the mystery to the same extent? No. Because listen to what Paul says next here. This is out of Colossians 1. We're going to get back to going through our text here, but back at Colossians 1, this mystery, it was hidden for ages, is now revealed to his saints and to them, that is his saints, that is believers. God chose to make known among the Gentiles what are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, so it is him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone, what's the word? Mat Come on. Don't let me down. I'll try again. You fill in the blank. Ready? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone. You're not sure about it. Mature. The word is mature. Mature in Christ. Maturity in Christ was Paul's end goal for the believer. It is God's intended end goal for the believer. Maturity. Maturity is the end goal. And how does he go about doing this? By continuing to unpack the treasures of the mystery of God, right? The more treasures of the mystery of God we understand, the more we are brought into maturity. Because the more we eat, the more we grow, and then all of a sudden we can handle bigger things, right? Now we can handle solid food. We don't just need milk anymore. Now we're grown. We can eat tougher things and understand them and comprehend them. And then after I eat the solid meat, and we all know you eat a lot of meat, you're going to beef up, right? And so you're starting to get bigger and you're growing. You're maturing. That is unless you neglect what is needful for you. which you can do, you know. So the mystery of God is made known as the word of God is made known. All that is true. And it is for our glory. How is that? How is it for our glory? Why would God do something for our glory? 
Why not for his own? I thought God does everything for his own glory and for his own namesake. You know what? That's true. But we share in his glory. So for those who are Christ and you are sharing in his glory when it's for your glory, whose glory is it for? For his own. Yeah, so that's how it works, right? For our glory. You know, we have a glorious inheritance. Did you know that? One day we will be with him in glory. So it is for our glory because we are growing together for our glory. That is right. That we might be glorified with him and share in this glorious inheritance. We will be glorified with him. Do you know how I know that to be absolutely certain? Because God decreed it and everything God decrees comes to pass. So is it for our glory that we might know the mystery? Absolutely. But is it also for the glory of God? Absolutely. They work together. Now, if it's just for your glory and not for Christ's glory, what is that? That's boasting, that's pride, that's arrogance. And that's the very thing that the Corinthian church had wrong with them, right? So they had their eyes set on the wrong prize. They wanted self-glory. But if we're understanding things properly, when it is for our glory, whose glory is it for? It is ultimately for God's glory. So just pause right here. If you're pursuing something in this life that is going to be glory for you alone and not glory for God, that thing is not okay. If you're pursuing things for your own glory and not for God's glory, then this is selfishness. This is pride. This is arrogance. This is you pursuing you for your sake, right? Now, God would have us pursue him. And as we pursue him, guess what we get? Glory, right? It's in reverse. Those who are humbled will be exalted. And everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. That's how it works. That's how it works. Okay, moving on. So Paul then quotes from the Old Testament, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, for the, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. All this is very true. But these things, verse 10, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the thoughts except the Spirit of that person? Now, what does that mean? This is very basic. You currently, right now in this moment, don't know the thoughts of my mind and of my heart, do you? You only know what's coming out of my mouth. And maybe if you're a perceptive person, you look at my facial expressions, my mannerisms, and you say something, you know, you're trying to figure things out about me. But you cannot know, unless you have my spirit, know what it is that I am truly thinking and feeling. Because who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of that person? So also, no one knows the thoughts of God except his spirit. But here's the unbelievable reality. The Spirit of God has come to live in you. So what do you have access to? The thoughts of God. Unbelievable! We have access to the very thoughts of God. Because the Spirit is in us. Doing what? Well, as the Word of God is taught, these spiritual truths are interpreted for those who are spiritual. And that's what's said next in the text, isn't it? interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And they have to be interpreted. You might say, well, I have the spirit of God. I have the thoughts of God. Why do the words of God need to be interpreted or taught to me? Why don't I just know them? This is not what God decreed. 
God did not decree when you become a believer and the spirit comes to live within you, you just immediately have an upload of all of the word of God. But wouldn't that be wonderful? I want that. I just want an immediate upload. Give me all the word of God without any work because that's ultimately what we want. No work. No effort. Just give me. And that's not what God has called us to. That's not God's plan. God's plan is that the word of God would come to you. Even though you have the spirit of God, it still needs to be taught. It still needs to be interpreted. still needs to be understood. And some of the things, as Peter said, are hard to understand. Right? And that's okay. This is how God designed it. All is okay. It's fine. We don't need to think that, oh, I'm just, I don't get it. I don't get it like you get it. I'm so frustrated. I don't get, this is God's plan. Okay? That we might start with milk and that we might grow unto maturity and have solid food. The issue becomes when we linger at the milk stage. This is the issue. Right? I mean, we had a little cat that we had to bottle feed. Okay? And of course, we all know when, we, when I say we who I'm talking about. So... We, my family, okay? So we had to bottle feed this little cat. And uh, of course, if the cat stayed on milk forever, would the cat grow into maturity? No. But you know what happened is that this cat wanted to stay on milk. Did you know that? Because it was comforting. It was easy. I got babied. Right. Right. It is easier to be treated like a baby. But this is not what God has called you to. God has called you to press on to maturity. God has called you to eat solid food and grow into maturity. And as we do, it is because we have these spiritual truths interpreted, taught, and understood. Yes, by means of the Spirit, but yes, by means of those God has put in our life right? Which includes our entire church family, everyone doing their part, right? Okay. So what I have for you in these, uh, in this next portion, because in a sense, that was all summary, right? What I, what I, what I want to look at with, with you next is really what happens in verses 14 through 16. And here's what I did. I'm just going to let you know up front what I did here. Sometimes as I study, I if, I'm, if I personally am having trouble with flow of thought, how all these parts are working together to one big whole, what I'll do is I'll get a piece of paper and I'll start writing things in diagram format because I notice easily if something is out of place, okay? I do that somewhat frequently. Uh, also, I'm a very visual person. Visual things help me. And I notice where there's errors. And so as I was doing this, I all of a sudden started to come up with this flow chart of how all this happens in the Christian life because that's what the text is leading us to. And if we don't get the flow right, which I think that many times we don't get the flow right, it leads us to incorrect conceptions about how to live the Christian life. And if we have incorrect conceptions about how to live the Christian life, guess what you're going to do? You're going to live the Christian life incorrectly because your, your, your conceptions are wrong. You're misinformed. That's not how it works, right? Like talking to the lady that cleaned my teeth last time. 
she said that all she needed was to be outside with God, and that's the way that God spoke to her and calls herself a Christian. What is that? Is it correct? Is it incorrect? Why is it incorrect? How does all this work together? Because we have the Spirit of God. We have spiritual truths, right? These are given to us by the Spirit. The Spirit gives us understanding. So does God not, by His Spirit, give us thoughts and understanding? And why can't she go outside to get those thoughts? What of the flow is an issue here? So what I'm going to show you next is how these things come together. And before I do that, I want to read verses 14 through 16 because I hope, it is my hope, my desire, that in going through this flow, that verses 14 through 16 might become very clear to us. That's my hope. So let's just read verses 14 through 16 and begin my flow chart. Okay? The natural person does not accept, cannot accept, does not accept, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For the reason being, they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them. Why? Because those things of the Spirit of God are spiritually discerned. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, what can you not do? Discern the things of God. So if you can't discern a thing, it's foolishness. The spiritual person, however, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Four, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? How does all this work together? The natural person, the spiritual person. My big question, actually, and the question that I think that has big impact for us, is, is the person in the in-between. Is that you are a believer, but you're an immature believer who only likes milk, and you're really having trouble because you're not having any spiritual growth, does that indicate that you in fact are not a believer? Or are you possibly a believer, but there is lack of growth? But this says that we will press on to maturity because we have the Spirit of God, so I'm confused. How do we grow in Christ? Is it something I do? Is it something God does? Is it something I pursue? Is it something God simply does from the outside? Do I need to go out into nature more and, and, and hear from God? How do I become a mature believer? It's all right here, but I, I want to walk through it with you. And so, to, so if, you, if you use the, uh, the Church Center app, I uploaded the, the, next, the upcoming slides into the sermon notes section because they may be difficult for you to see. And so you can have a zoomed in version there if you want to pull that up. You're more than welcome to. I won't be offended that you're on your phone. Okay, don't take this as an opportunity to pray, play Angry Birds or something, okay? So, here's how it works. God reveals himself. This is revelation. Very important word. Revelation. Revelation is when God pulls back the cover and shows himself. How has he done this? How has God shown himself to his creation? Well, in two ways, in two very distinct ways. And they are in general revelation and what is known as special revelation or specific revelation. Okay? Now, I've inserted some pictures here so that from a distance you might be able to see what we're talking about. So let's look at general revelation. General revelation is 
uh, the world and the planets and the trees and the birds and all the stuff of the creation that God has made, God has actually revealed himself, guess, listen, in nature. You didn't see that coming, did you? Oh, maybe you did. But there's actually an issue, okay? So when you look at a passage like Romans 1, verses 18 through 23, and let me just read it. Because again, we're, we're talking about the revelation of God and how the natural person perceives it and how the spiritual person perceives it. Because that's what Paul's talking about. The natural person does not accept God's revelation, but the spiritual person does accept God's revelation. So how does it work? Romans 1, beginning verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is, they push it down. They don't accept the truth of God. For what can be, made, what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to them, revealed himself. How? His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Although they know God, they don't give him honor, they suppress all the truth, right? So God has revealed himself in nature. Here's the thing about that, is that the way God has revealed himself in nature is enough to condemn you, but it's not enough to save you. That's how it works. Nature says there is a God and he is all powerful. And you should know that. Here he is. Look at the world around you and know there's a God. But you suppress that truth and unrighteousness. You don't accept it and it's enough to condemn you. So they are without excuse. That's what the text says. Because they don't accept that reality. But in nature, what are you not going to find? You're not going to find written on the clouds... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, right? You're not going to find all the information that there is to know of Jesus Christ in the creation itself. Okay? God didn't decide to write these things in the clouds or in the trees or anything like that. Um, he does not reveal the truth of Jesus Christ in the creation. So what God reveals to all people is enough to condemn them. But it is not enough to save them because the truth of the gospel is not made known that way. Right? You following me so far? This is our first picture. Second picture. Special revelation. Those are some guys, right? What guys? Some of the 40 guys or so who God used to author scripture. This is what is known as special revelation, the way God has specifically revealed himself. And how has he done it? Through his word. How did he do it? Through inspiration. God used his spirit to write, author, scripture. There are several passages here that you could reference, but 2 Timothy 3.16, you know, we all know this. All scripture is what? It is God breathed, right? It's one word in Greek, theonistos. It is breathed out by God. All scripture is coming from the breath of God. Well, how can that be? It was written by men. Because God used men to author these things. Now, where does this come from? Inspiration comes because of God's revelation. God has chosen a specific means to reveal himself. Okay? Um, 
Uh, other passages we have on that, I mean, you can look at these. Second Peter 1, um, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but, God's, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how the words of Scripture came to be. Men were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they authored Scripture. This is inspiration. Okay? There are some big key words here that if we get out of order in this flow, we're going to have big problems. Revelation comes first. And then inspiration. And so then you have a little flow here. How does inspiration come to the average man? Well, it goes through the process of transmission all the way to the canon of Scripture. That is... The manuscripts that were written all get collected together. We touched on this last week. This is transmission. That is, they are transmitted through time, through different authors over a period of time, right? And uh, amazingly, they're all collected together. And then after the new, new covenant and the New Testament is written, they all come together and these are acknowledged as the things breathed out by God. And they are collected in a book. And we call that the book of all books, which is what the word Bible means book. It's all the word Bible means. Okay? So we have the book of all books, which is the Bible, and it is the collection of writings from God as men were inspired to author them. And all this comes from what? The revelation of God. So what happens now? What happens next is that this revelation is made known to men as people read it and people hear it. Right? That's what happens. I'm preaching a sermon this morning, preaching from the Word of God. You have a Bible at home. You've read your Bible. You hear the Bible read. You hear the truth of God, and it comes into your ears, or you see it, but eventually it comes into your brain. Can the natural person look at the canon of Scripture and let it come into their brain and their ears and their eyes? Follow me. Can they read? Yes, the natural man in scripture, he does not accept them. It does not say he's unable to read. It's not like they open it and it's blank pages. I don't see anything here. You say you don't see anything. You know, it's like Peter Pan. I do, you don't see the food? There's all the food. That's not how it works. They see these words too, okay? And they can read them and they can study them. And they can come to a mental grasp of what is being said. The natural person can read the words of God. The issue is that they cannot accept them. Accept them in what way? Accept them as truth. They cannot look at them and say, this is the truth of God. They will not accept them. They cannot accept them. They will not accept the truth of God until they see in a different way and they hear in a different way, which is from a spiritual perspective. Because these things are spiritual and they must be interpreted to those who are spiritual. And how do you become spiritual? By having the Spirit of God live in you. And who does that? God does that. Do you make yourself a spiritual person? I'm, sometimes you think you do though, right? You don't make yourself spiritual. God is the one who does this. He has revealed himself. He has used men to author scripture, the very words of God given to us all that we need. That is the canon of scripture. And this is the natural person. The natural person can hear it. They can see it. It can come into their brain. 
But there's an issue that will never happen for them. And this is our next big word, which is illumination. This is, now when we go through scripture and you say, well, I don't see the word illumination in scripture. Well, in a sense, actually it is in scripture, but you see some of these words and what we're doing here is we have to put theological terminology to truths as we distill them from scripture, right? Because we need to make sense of these things. How does all this work together? This is how it works together is that we need an extra step in order for these things to penetrate our hearts. The natural man will never have the word of God penetrate their heart. They can't. That's the spirit's job. How does God's mystery, God's word, penetrate your heart? Is it by a, here's how it all comes together, a gifted preacher? No, you, yeah, no. That's the whole, that's the whole point. It's the whole point. It is God who does this. And it is God by his spirit that gives you understanding so that the word of God comes into your heart. And for those of you who are spiritual, you know exactly what I mean. You know what it is to hear it and see it. And it means nothing to you in a sense, right? In one ear, out the other. But there is a completely different sense in which you hear the word of God. And what does it do? It sticks deep into your heart and it impacts you, right? And isn't that what we always want? So pause with me for a second and admit, can we all admit together with me that sometimes we hear the word of God, we read the word of God, we hear sermons preached that are the word of God, and it means nothing to us, it, no impact. No impact. Can, you can, it's okay to be transparent right now, okay? It's okay. We can be transparent and admit that because it's a common reality that we see and we hear, but in seeing, we're not actually seeing as we should. How can that be if we have the Spirit of God and He has illumined our hearts to understand? How is it that there's a roadblock? How could it ever be? And so this is where I, I want to read just a little bit and we're going to bring some things to application here. There's only a I only have a couple more pictures left. I know you're disappointed because you love my pictures, but there's only a couple left. And this is where we're going to bring all this from last week and this week. We're tying it all together from the text. We're bringing it to the point into the depth of application. Are you ready? This is where it all, this is where it all meets. They had issues, didn't they? The Corinthian church, they were infants in Christ. They had problems. So what are we going to do to fix it? Do you ever find yourself at that place? I'm not the Christian I should be. What am I going to do? I don't know. Go to church, I guess. I don't start dressing better. Stop cussing. I don't. And that's it. That's, that's it. That's all we got. If that's all you got, you're, you're messing with the auxiliary stuff not the big, deep-rooted stuff. Because if you, if you touch the big, deep-rooted stuff first, all that flows out naturally. So, what's the issue? 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
but we renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled, covered, to those who are perishing, excuse me, to those who are perishing. And in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds, their minds. He has blinded their minds. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Who is the image of God? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but we proclaim Christ Jesus. And ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. So God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the gospel, the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So just go with me on what's being said. How does the revelation of God come to you so that you see it and you know it and you hear it and you believe it and it sinks into your heart? It's because it's like you were darkness. And just like God said, out of darkness in the beginning, nothing but darkness. And God said, let there be light. And when God decrees a thing, it happens. And this is how the light of the gospel, the knowledge of the gospel came to you. If you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ from the heart and you have faith, do you know how you came to that point? God said, let there be light in your dark soul. Let there be light. How else is it going to happen? I realized I was in darkness and so I needed light and I knew that the light was the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How could you possibly know that without the spirit of God in you? You can't. Because only the people with the Spirit of God understand spiritual realities. So you did not understand spiritual realities until you had the Spirit of God. And how did you get the Spirit of God? How did you come into the light of understanding? Because God said, let there be light. It's amazing. And when God said, let there be light into your dark soul, guess what happened? The lights came on. Because when God decrees a thing, it happens. But we're still here. And... Uh, I want to make this connection. So go to the next slide if you would, Rob. So here's the issue. Is that, see this little red line? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. There is nothing that happens after the mind and the eyes. And uh, this is the issue. Is that you hear the word of God, you see the word of God, you're reading the word of God, and there's nothing, nothing in your heart. Maybe right now in this moment, we've, been, we've had a lot of time of reading the word of God together, singing the word of God together, a lot of great spiritual realities, and it's you're numb numb completely. You're just like, how much longer can he possibly preach about this? Numb. How could believers possibly be numb? Um, I was thinking about this, and it's like, uh, do, do all of you know about the Enigma machine? Do you know what the Enigma machine is? It was used by Nazi Germany, okay, in the 30s and 40s. And this is the way that they would transmit encrypt and decrypt messages uh, through Morse code. So that even if you received the message, unless you had an Enigma machine, you could not figure out the message. Because when it came to you, it was just random letters. And unless you had this Enigma machine and put all the things right in their exact place, and, and it would decode it for you, even if you had the message, it was nonsense to you. Nonsense. 
And this is very much what happens when the spirit of God comes into the life of a believer is that all you, you have the message. It is not nonsense to you anymore. It has become clear. God has decoded it for you. The, me- the mystery has become clear to you and you understand it. But why doesn't it produce action in your life? The key missing ingredient here is conviction. Um, and this is what allows the person to go from illumination in your heart to conviction to another big word, appropriation. And all that means is taking something and making it your own. This is the key missing ingredient for many people who call themselves believers. You have the word of God, but you still act like the the average fleshly person, milk. All you know, Jesus Christ came to die for my sins. And I should go to church and read the Bible. And I should generally be a good person. Um, Paul says we need to move on from that. We need to move on from immaturity and press on to maturity in Christ. And so when we become uh, stuck in this cycle because there's no spiritual conviction, um, what, what happens is uh, we need to figure out why that is. And I want to give you just the two, the two concepts here that, um, that are the issue. I mean, I might as well just put that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even going by that. I don't know where I am. So what happens here in this situation? Uh, go on to that next one. Here's the issue. This is what scripture tells us. That I'm getting to my, my, my point and for us to understand. How is it that the believer can read and hear the word of God, but be numb to it and not have any spiritual conviction? It's because of a hard heart and deceitfulness of sin. This is the issue. If you hear the word of God and you have no desire in you to press on to maturity in Christ, it's because you have a hard heart and you have been deceived by sin. This is your issue. And for those who have a hard heart right now, the thing you don't want me to say is that you have a hard heart. Because, you know why that is? Because you have a hard heart. And you can't accept it. Because living in the flesh, you can't accept the things of the Spirit of God. You're acting like you live in the flesh. You're acting like an infant. You're acting like a child. And you need to grow up, right? That's what Paul is saying to us. Grow up. How do you do that? Okay, great. I want to grow up. Do you want to grow up? I want to grow up. I want to be a big kid. I want to, I want to grow. There are many passages. I'm going to leave most of those to you for your own study and maybe to discuss at our, our final fellowship group here this week. Lots of passages. I will read one. Let's look at Hebrews 5. Okay, and in Hebrews 5, it says, about this, we have much to say. See, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack, right? But it's hard to explain why, because you're dull of hearing. Dull. You've become dull of hearing. For by this time, you should be teachers, but instead, you need someone else to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is, listen, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Wait a minute. So you're telling me that to be a child is a direct correlation between being skilled in the word. Yes. Your childish behavior is because you are unskilled in the word. There is no spiritual conviction. Your heart is hard. 
You don't want to hear the deep things of God. You want things to be over with. You want to come to church, but you don't want to actually hear the sermons, right? There's an issue. The issue is a hard heart and you've been deceived by sin. What do you do if you recognize I've had a hard heart? I've been deceived by sin. What do you do? Because that's the, like the impasse situation, right? How do I press on to maturity already? Well, first of all, you have to recognize that you've had a hard heart and that you've been deceived by sin. That's step one, is it not? We have to recognize where we're not in the right. And you can only do that by measuring yourself up to the word of God. So if you're waiting on spiritual conviction to come void of the word of God, it's not going to happen. God is not going to write on the clouds for you the sin that is in your heart. But the word of God will reveal it to you. So we need the word. We press on to the word. But we can only do this if our hearts are softened by God. And this is really kind of getting into next week's text. And so I'll, I'll let that speak for itself. But here are the two things that we need. Confession and repentance. You've recognized my life does not match up with what I'm reading, what I'm hearing. I need to be doing better. Is it right to say for the Christian, is it right to say I need to be doing better? Do you say that to yourself often? Or do you say, no, I don't. And in fact, you need to stop saying that I'm not doing good. Stop reminding me that I'm a sinner. I can't stop reminding you that you're a sinner. If I do, I'm being unfaithful to the word. Because we will never reach perfection until we are in glory. And what God intends for us is that we continue to press on to maturity every day. And we hold every thought captive to Christ. Are you holding all your thoughts captive to Christ? Some of them. And others you don't want to hold captive to Christ. Others you don't want to have the uh, obedience. Because you have a hard heart. It's not completely soft yet. And uh, there are certain things you just don't want to do. Right? There are things you just don't want to do. Right? For those of you who are married, do you know that scripture says that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church? Do you know that scripture says that? And are you doing that? Answer? It's okay to say it. Answer? Are you, maybe you don't understand, are you loving your wife the way that Christ loves the church? Answer? No, because you are not Christ and you are not perfect. You always have work to do, right? But you don't want to. And why is that? Because you feel disrespected by your wife. It's her fault, right? That's what Adam said. Right? My wife doesn't give me respect, so I'm not going to do that. What about when you don't show respect to your Savior, does he stop loving you? Does your Savior love you always, even if you disrespect him? So if your wife disrespects you, you continue to love her? And your love for her is not contingent upon your, her respect for you? Oh. So, but you know, Scripture also says, wives, respect your husbands. Yeah. Are you doing that? Are you giving respect? Now you might say, well, I don't want to because he doesn't love me. He doesn't love me as he should, so I'm not going to respect a man like that. 
I, I didn't know that there was a contingency on when you were to respect your husband because the scriptures actually don't give one. Wives are to respect their husbands because they are told to do so. Does it mean you agree with everything? No, but does it mean that you give respect? Even when they are unrespectable. And husbands are to love their wives even when they are unlovable. Now, that's one example. One example to show us all that we know what to do, but we refuse to do it. Because we don't want to. So, when we're faced with that, and that slaps us in the face, you have a decision to make. You can let that cut you to the heart, or you can do what Scripture says, and you can push away and grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture tells you. And when you grieve the Holy Spirit of God, what you're doing is you're saying, I know what you said, but I don't care what you said because I want to live how I want to live. So, there is no conviction of sin, right? And, but if there is conviction of sin, this is our other path. And you confess that sin, you repent of that sin, that's what 1 John 1, 9 tells us, and you move forward. And you try your best to do what your Lord has called you to do. This all makes sense, doesn't it? It's so plain, and yet, why aren't we doing this more? Because we have pride issues, that's why. So did the church in Corinth. So we found out that we're just like them. We are just like them. So let's finish this out. So confession and repentance happen. And then last step, it gets crazy now. If I would have just shown you this picture there at the beginning, you thought I was crazy. Uh, what happens then is that conviction leads you to appropriation, which means, oh, respect my husband. Oh, love my wife. Okay, I will try to do that today by the power of God in me. I will look at the word. I will seek the word out. How am I to do that? Oh, so that does lead you back to scripture. And it creates a cycle. And the more we cycle through, what is that called? Maturity. So if we cut out conviction, confession and repentance, what are you not going to have? Maturity. So spiritual conviction is necessary for maturity to take place. Conviction, however, hurts. And we shy away from it. By the way, for those of you in the room who may not have ever even entered into the cycle because you've not understood these things. You've not known that Christ Jesus was the Savior of the world. You didn't know that you were, you didn't know about him. You didn't know what, you, what he did. You didn't know that you were a sinner. You didn't know that there was wrath to God to pay. You didn't know that you were to be punished. What should you do? What should you do? You should admit to God that you are a sinner, that is, confess and you should repent, that is, turn away from your sins in faith, believing all that God did in Jesus Christ for you. And as you do that, you become an infant in Christ. And you begin this cycle of maturity and you come to grow and understand and now you love the things of God. You love the people of God. And yeah, you're going to have hiccups along the way. Thank God that he created this church to hold us accountable to that truth that we might not fall away. And so where I ended last week is the same place I'll end this week. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. We need to be careful to pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Lest we drift away from it. Don't drift away. 
but pay careful attention because this is what we need. Hope that it all came together for you. Uh, I have one final challenge for you, and uh, that is I'm going to be gone for the next two weeks. And so what that means is we're about to put this into practice. I, I'm for Paul. I'm for Apollos. I'm for Peter. Now, if you don't show up because you know I'm not here, what does that say? Me, I'm an Eric person myself. Oh, Jimmy's preaching next week? I'll just wait till Eric gets back. Shame on you, if that's the way you're thinking. And if it is shame on you, then adjust yourself and come even when you don't feel like it. Because what must we do to our feelings? Take our feelings, measure them against the word, and change your feelings by the power of God. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it's right. Right? So Jimmy will be preaching next week. Sam will be preaching the week after, and they will continue right on in the text, right where we left off. Okay? So excited to do that with you. Um, we're going to pray and uh, finish our time together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for our time together today. We love you. We thank you for all that you have done and revealed to us in your word. And uh, as we continue to press on in maturity in Christ, we pray that you would give us help and strength to do so. Thank you for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. I pray for those in the room who are having trouble with this. I pray that you would give them soft hearts to comprehend the fullness of the knowledge of Christ and that they are ready and that they are willing by your spirit to accept these things as true and that you would cut them deep to the heart, that there would be conviction of sin, that there would be confession and repentance, and that they might be clothing themselves in Christ and pressing on to maturity. Help us all to do that together, we pray. For those in the room who do not know you, I pray that you now in this moment would speak and say, let there be light and let them see all the great glories that you have made for us in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name together. Amen.